0: All right, Uh, we are in the tail week. This is the last week of the Enjoy series. And as we said at the beginning of the series, when we talk today about enjoying life, enjoying God, enjoying the whole journey, uh, enjoying generosity, and today we're gonna talk about enjoying optimism, it's a little bit of a disconnect. This last week that we had was tough, and today we're gonna talk about enjoying optimism. There are tough things happening in our nation, there are tough things happening in our world, and today we're gonna talk about enjoying optimism. It feels a little bit like a disconnect. But some of this was intentional. We planned this series months ago and we knew this would be the Sunday before the election and we knew this would be a crazy election and here we are, right? Uh, Some candidates are already posturing for post-election drama. Um, There are candidates in political parties that are treating each other incredibly poorly. grab every bit of dirt you can possibly grab and you throw it in the other's face. There's an article this last week, U.S. could be headed for a civil war. Now, I know that's just, you know, an article and a headline to get clicks. It's clickbait. But you read it and you think, yeah, okay, we, that may be a little bit much heading for a civil war. But there's a level of political disconnect and tension that is, the worst has been at least in my lifetime. Uh, an apparent assassination, assassination attempt this last week of the third in line to the White House. I mean, are we kind of getting the gravity of this? I'm looking at news feeds, and then, yeah, it's there. But a a potential looks like a likely attempted assassination attempt of the third in line of the White House. I mean, there is something deeply and desperately wrong with us, right, as a country. I love this country. Mega patriotic. I mean, I sing all the songs. I'm flag-waving, but there is something deeply wrong with our country. Uh, Just recently, just this week, a dramatic spike in uh, hate speech online, particularly against people of color. War in Europe is intensifying with increased threats of escalation. Inflation pressures, stressing family budgets, record rates of drug drug overdose and crime on the front minds of Americans. There's just a lot happening, right? And so we knew that this would be a tough week. And so we put in Enjoy Optimism this week for a reason. Enjoy Optimism. And it is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. How can we be optimistic when all of these things are facing us? Well, we can. And we're going to look in the scripture. We're going to look at the life of Jesus. We're going to look at points of scripture where people were going through tough times and how they got to embrace optimism, not in some fake way, but in a real way, being able to enjoy God, enjoy God's presence, and see the best in the world around us. If we don't embrace optimism, we will embrace uh, this guy here, uh, Homer Simpson. Uh, This is the uh, other alternative, right? And this is where a lot of even church communities go. Oh, it's the end of the world and antichrist and tribulation, and all that stuff. I mean, that I've certainly heard my whole life and that we've heard in the church for 2000 years. This has been the message for 2000 years when things get tough. Sometimes the church says, well, it's gonna be all over. We get very pessimistic. We talk about the end of the world and, you know, not so fast, not so fast. When I was a a young'un growing up in church, it was in the 1980s, it was at the tail end of the Cold War, and I heard as a high school student that there is no way we will exist as a planet past 1988. That's what I learned in my church. I told you that before. It's like I'm a high school kid and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got plans for college and career and potentially a family, and you're telling me we're not going to last through 1988, that's what I was taught. And so there's a lot of fear that was you know, poured upon me for sure in church environments, that the end is near, the end is near. But listen, we wanna change that around. We wanna say, hey, listen, the end isn't near, there isn't, in fact, a whole new beginning that's emerging, right? And yes, it's taken a while since the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it is taking a while, but a new life is coming. What Jesus called the kingdom of heaven on earth is rising. And God's gonna use us to build it. He's gonna use us to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. And yes, it will take a long time. And yes, there will be setbacks. There will be setbacks in our life. There'll be setbacks in our country. There'll be setbacks in the world. But what God is doing on the earth is an optimistic move of his spirit and an optimistic move of what he called the kingdom of heaven where love is the only law and we treat each other well and we look out for each other and there's harmony and nations you know, turn swords into, into um, uh, plowy things. Plowshares? I think that's it. Yeah, thank you. I like plowy things better. It's more true to the original Greek. Um, but peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? That message is coming up here in a couple of months. This is the heart of God and it's an optimistic view even in the midst of things going poorly. There's a very famous passage in Jeremiah 29, "When the nation of Israel was utterly destroyed, their entire nation, at least two of the 12 tribes that were remaining, were taken into captivity. They had no homeland, their cities were destroyed, they were taken prisoner, and they thought, we're just going to be slaves to, to Babylon for the rest of our generations, and there is no hope ahead." And God says this in Jeremiah 29:11. God says, "Be at peace. I know the plans I have for you. You may not." But I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found right by your side. I love that. Now, let's be honest. The two tribes of Israel taken into captivity, not everyone made it back. Not everyone saw the better days ahead. There were some who passed away in Babylon. There were some who passed away as slaves, but there were others that carried on this vision that there are better days ahead. There is a hope ahead. Some experienced it in their life and some did not. But the broad arc of human history, not just for Israel, but for us today, is that despite the setbacks that happen in our lives, in our family, in our communities, in our nation, in our world, despite the setback, God is moving forward something very, very good. And we could put a smile on our face and say, God, you're doing something good. I may not always see it. I may not always experience it, but I can know, as it says in Jeremiah 29, you're right there by my side. So today we're talking about optimism. We're talking about optimism and enjoying optimism. As we talked about the word optimism in our staff meeting as we were preparing for this um, particular Sunday even months ago, they were asking, rightfully so, should we use the word optimism? Because not everybody is a wired optimist, right? I mean, I'm looking at some of your faces like right now. <laughs> not everybody's wired as an optimist. Some people are wired as uh, frowny-faced people, and that happens from birth, right? Let me show you a frowny face baby. Here you go. Some people are just born like that. <laughs> And and science itself says that 50% of whether we're optimistic or pessimistic is from genetics. 50% is baked in, born with a frowny face. You're gonna now have a frowny toddler, frowny elementary, frowny adolescent. Good luck. Some babies are just born frowny and they grow up to frowny adults. Other babies are just born happy. Just born happy. Like this guy right here. There he is. Oh, so cute. And that happy baby is going to largely be a happy toddler, probably a largely happy student, and live a largely happy, optimistic life, right? Half of whether we're optimistic or pessimistic is from genetics, genetics. Now, for those of you who lean towards the negative, you're like, is there any hope? Because I really want to be more optimistic, but is there a hope? Well, yeah, because there's the other half, right? The other half is in your control. The other half is in your control. And I also want to be clear here, and this is where we had a lot of meetings in our in our planning uh, discussions about this particular Sunday. Is pessimism bad? The answer is no, this isn't good or bad, right or wrong. There's a place for pessimists. We need pessimists to survive. You don't want an optimist engineering your airplane that you're gonna fly on. You you don't want an optimist cruising into the engineering room, oh, it'll probably be great. it's gonna be great. You want a pessimist with your engineers going, okay, what is every possible seam in this thing that could go wrong? and they test every possible point of weakness, right, until they're absolutely sure this sucker's gonna fly. You want a pessimist as a doctor. You know, doc, I got this big, throbbing, pulsating thing right here. You don't want a doctor going, ah, it'll probably be good. No, you don't want, you want people, you know, in the right time, in the right place, saying, hey, I think there might be a problem here. We've gotta address that problem. There's a place for pessimism, there's a place for optimism. But even if you are wired towards the negative, and most negative people don't know they're wired for the negative, I'm going to give you a little hint. If you've ever said, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist, you're a pessimist. (laughs) Even the pessimist can have this biblical optimism underpinning your beautiful ability to see what could possibly go wrong. Here's the kind of optimism that we're talking about today. And I'm gonna be slow and I'm gonna repeat this because this is important. If you have a camera, I'm telling you this is the time. Ready? (laughs) Optimism is not the assumption that things will always get better. That's not optimism. Sometimes that's just fantasy land. It's just delusion, right? That's not true biblical optimism. Optimism is not the assumption that things will always get better. Optimism is the assumption that I will see the best and make the best out of any circumstance while seeing the best and making the best in the people around me. I'm telling you, that's a good one, that's a good one. Optimism is not the assumption that things will always get better, it's the assumption that I will see the best and make the best out of any circumstance, good or bad, while seeing the best and making the best in the people around me. That's optimism, that's true biblical optimism, that's Jesus-style optimism, right? Jesus was optimistic. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. Let's work for it. Let's pray for it. Jesus says there will be better days ahead and he never saw them. He was crucified. That message of optimism got him crucified and he knew that. He knew that he wouldn't see the better days that he was preaching about. But he was animated through his whole life, passionate about the people around him, his disciples, his friends, and building this brand new community of love and this brand new community of looking out for each other particularly people in need and saying let's build a new and better world jesus never saw it in his own lifetime but he's seeing it emerge now things are better now than they have ever been i preach about that a lot and people give me a lot of hate for that but it's statistically the case things are better now than they've ever been and they're going to get better now that doesn't mean everything in my life is going to work out wonderfully It doesn't mean everything in the world is now gonna work out wonderfully, but over the long arc of history, the passion of Jesus, that this would be a world driven by love and selfless service to one another, that this would be a world of peace, it is happening slowly over time. Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in the Bible is a passage, a whole chapter on optimism. Even in a period of loss and even in a period of fear, I'm going to read the, the whole thing. It's not a long chapter. You've heard most of this, I'm sure. But hear the optimism underpinning the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the psalmist, the songwriter, probably David, who is being pursued for murder. Enemies were after his head. And so even though he says, I'm walking through the valley of the darkest shadow, some versions, the valley of the shadow of death, you might have heard, even though my enemies are in my presence, I'm gonna overflow with joy. I'm gonna overflow with the sense that God, you are doing something spectacular in me and through me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's saying, even if there might not be any success in my life, I have this eternal hope to come. That's pretty cool. He wrote this Psalm when he was struggling and suffering and yet... He writes about optimism because God is always with him. Because God is always with him, this psalmist and we can see the best in the world around us. We can see the best in every circumstance and see the best in people around us. But it is not easy. It is not easy to see the best. It's not easy to see the best in the world when there are wars in Europe and troubles in our own country. It's not easy to see the best sometimes in our own family life, and our own circumstances. I get it. I totally get it. I'll give you a little micro example. I was doing my Thursday normal, which is to uh, leave here on lunch break and travel uh, eastward to get some tacos. One of the highlights of my week. Thursday, getting some tacos. I'm at a stoplight at Margarita Road and uh, Temecula Parkway, and the light is red, and to the left of me were the two left turn lanes. And uh, in typical Temecula fashion, the light turns green for the left-hand turn, and no one goes. Standard, it's just typical Temecula, right? What are they doing? They're texting. Clearly they're texting, right? But both lanes are texting. They're not going anywhere, the light is green. And I'm thinking, I start laughing because I'm not behind them. If I was behind them, I'd get pretty frustrated. A couple of seconds later, horns start to beep, one guy's yelling out his window. And then I see a very, very old woman, very sweet with a walker. Going across the road. And I'm like, I hated myself because I might have laid on that horn a little bit. I wouldn't have yelled anything out the window. Somebody might see here, that's the pastor from Rancho. <laughs> but I probably would have been kind of frustrated. It's like, come on, dude, get off your phone. They were waiting for this kind old lady to go across the street. I mean, it was like <laughs> a picture out of a TV show it was like so hysterical. Right? That they're just waiting for a a woman to cross the road and everybody is ticked off behind them. And I'm thinking, that's America. That is just America. We're just trying to live our life and do our best, and there's so many angry people just honking and barking and yelling online and uh, and all that stuff, right? It is hard to be an optimist. It's hard to be an optimist. And listen, I want to be clear here. An optimist doesn't necessarily believe that every situation in my life is going to get better. It may or may not. There's no guarantee of that, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about enjoying the journey, whether things go well or not. Optimism doesn't mean, oh yeah, we believe everything's gonna work out. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Optimism doesn't necessarily believe that my life is going to get better and better. It may, it may not. We hope so, but it may not. Optimism doesn't believe the world's gonna get better in my lifetime. There are things that I'm gonna see that are progress, and there's things that I'm gonna see that are devastating, Optimism is deeper than that. To reiterate, biblical optimism says, I will see the best and make the best out of any circumstance while seeing the best and making the best in the people around me. That is biblical Christ-centered optimism. And I'm telling you, even somebody who's wired more pessimistic can adopt that. We can do that. And the reality is, statistically, scientifically, optimists are happier people. They enjoy life more. It's just the reality. Optimists enjoy life more. And some of you are thinking like, well, no, duh. (laughs) You wanna be around an optimist more than you wanna be around a pessimist. But listen to what optimists enjoy. They enjoy higher levels of well-being. They enjoy better sleep. They enjoy lower stress. They enjoy better health, particularly with heart, diabetes, and cancer. They enjoy a better mental health. They enjoy being less impacted by criticism. So if somebody criticizes you or you think, well, what are they thinking about me? you just need to be a more optimistic person because you'll be able to be resilient in the face of that. Enjoy better immune function, enjoy a more active life, enjoy better life stability, enjoy healthier relationships. Optimists live 11 to 15% longer than pessimists and they enjoy a better quality of life overall. That sound good? Sounds like something we wanna sign up for? Now for somebody who might be a little more negative, you're thinking, well, if I'm 50% genetically predisposed to negativity, I want the benefits of being an optimist, help me out. How can I become an optimist? And I'm telling you right now, you can. It's called learned optimism. It's a thing, Google it, learned optimism. It's what Jesus was speaking into as as these people were living in such negativity because the Romans had invaded them and occupied them and oppressed them. And the religious leaders were oppressing them with rules and regulations about religion, right? These These are oppressed people and Jesus is saying, listen, Better days are ahead. The kingdom of heaven is ahead. Yes, in this world, you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world, take great joy. This is is the stuff Jesus was talking about. So how can you become more optimistic? Even for those of you who are optimistic, you can become more optimistic. Here's how. The first sounds cliche, but hang with me. Think positive thoughts. Think positive thoughts. This is self-talk, self-talk. All of us have self-talk all the time. I have heard, and I believe this to be true, the only difference between a crazy person and a sane person is the sane person doesn't say what's in their head out loud. That's the only difference, right? I think that's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know who said that, but that's hysterical. We all have self-talk, and sometimes it's really crazy self-talk, but a lot of it is sometimes positive, and a lot of it is sometimes negative. So I'm gonna give you the self-talk of a positive, optimistic person. Here are the things you think if you are a positive, optimistic person. You think to yourself, I'll be fine. We'll be fine. Even if things are going, you know, tough, I'll be fine, we'll be fine. You think, I can do that. I can fix that. I'll get through it. This season will pass. Oh, that'll be fun. I can't wait to do that. These are the things you think in your head if you're an optimist, all right? How we doing? All right. These are the things you think if you're a pessimist. (laughs) That's going to be hard. Probably won't work. I'm not sure I should do that. What if blank happens? And just fill in the worst case scenario. I'm not very good at that. It was my fault. What will people think of me? That's a big one. (laughs) Some of you are like, oops, busted. (laughs) Those are the thoughts of a pessimist. Now, if you wanna become more optimistic, and again, this is gonna sound trite, but I'm telling you, this is backed by science. Just replace this with this in your head. So for example, if you think to yourself, oh, what are people gonna think? What are people gonna think about me if I do this? In your head, you're thinking that, stop, and say, how do I say this in a clean way? Who cares? I was gonna start with who gives, but that's who cares. Who cares? Now, sometimes if I'm talking to a, a pessimist, this comes up a lot. Well, what will people think? And it kind of prevents them from doing something that could be fun or could be great. It could be a great experience. It could be something new, some adventure or whatever. Like, what are they gonna think? Replace that with who cares? And if you're a little more adventurous in your language, who gives a, is fine, right? Replace these thoughts. Replace these thoughts. Um, now, you might think, well, that sounds kind of trite, and does it work? The answer is yes, it does. Even in some you know, cognitive therapy, the science is right there. Just replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts, it actually works, right? If you think to yourself, well, that's probably not gonna work out, replace it with a thought that says yes, it's going to work. No, it may or may not work, but replace it with a positive thought and then do it, right? Think positive thoughts. Some of you are experts at crafting in your mind the worst case scenario, right? And it brings fear and it brings anxieties over something that doesn't yet even exist, right? So you can replace that worst case thought. So for example, if you're gonna take a trip, oh, we're gonna break down, kids are gonna fight, but just replace that with, oh, we're gonna have a great time. We're gonna have a great time, just replace it. Uh, I actually read this in a, 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 a scholarly psychological journey. Fake it till you make it, right? Fake it till you make it. And they were just basically saying, "Hey, really, this works. Fake it till you make it." And some of you might think, "Well, isn't that lying to myself? If I'm really feeling, you know, like something's going to go bad, and I replace it with some good, happy thought, is that lying to myself?" Here's the answer: Yes, it is lying to yourself. And it works. It does work. It's not creating an expectation that may or may not, but just inserting positivity into a negative pattern. It does work. It's also not a bad idea. To get some help on where those negative thoughts come from. And this, you know, could use some help, maybe some therapy if if you'd like. Just if you've got kind of chronic negative thoughts, it's not a bad idea to get a little bit of expert help to say, where did those come from? Might be genetic, but there's also that other half. It might've come from parents or childhood experiences or trauma or mental health challenges or betrayal or bad influences or bad religion that kind of got you there. So that's not a bad idea to, to pursue that as well. I'm gonna read right out of Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four is positive thinking. It's just inserting into this church at Philippi some positive thinking and let's do this right now. You ready? Philippians four, six through eight. Don't worry about anything. So for those of you who are a little more negative, this is for you. Don't worry about anything. It was a positive thought. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Positive thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Pretty clear, right? Think positive thoughts. And second, do positive things. Do positive things. Just get out there and do something fun. For those of you who are kind of, you know, swallowed up by negativity, just Do something fun, right? Go to an amusement park right on a roller coaster. Go miniature golfing. Just try a restaurant you've never tried before. Try some food you've never tried before. Do relational things where you're hanging around with people who are laughing and smiling, right? Do helpful things, volunteering. Do things with friends. Do something new. Learn a new hobby. Learn how to play a new game or a new sport. Learn a new skill. That'll get your, your brain, your whole countenance in a much more positive place. Do positive things. I love Ecclesiastes eight fifteen. So I commend the enjoyment of life. This old man just looking at his life, I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and be happy. Eat, drink, and be happy. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God has given them under the sun. Now, the writer here, King Solomon, says, hey, in life there's toil, So he's not just saying it's all gonna work out, it's all gonna be rosy. No, there's ups, there's downs. Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. But in the middle of it all, enjoy it. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, be happy. Do something fun. Do positive things. Think positive thoughts, do positive things. Join a positive community. Join a positive community. There's very little that depresses me more than overhearing a group of friends gripe about everything always. And you, you may or may not know who you are, but you get together with friends and it, it seems like there's a camaraderie there because you're all griping about the same thing and you're all like, yeah, that stinks. Oh yeah, that stinks. And, that, yeah. and you, it could be you're griping about your health. Everybody's griping about their health. You're griping about uh, politics, griping, griping, griping. You're griping about you know, your family or your work. It's just a group of negativity. And sometimes I'm in restaurants and overhearing this groups of friends just be negative. I'm like, that oh, what? you are a miserable bunch. Miserable bunch. And for those of you who may or may not know if you're in a miserable bunch, pay attention to the next conversations you have. Just, say, raw, 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 and just think to yourself quietly, I got to get out of here. Not to ditch your friends, but maybe spend a little less time with that particular group. And find a new group. That's just positive and laughing and enjoying life and asking each other questions and doing fun things. I mean, we can get out of negativity by joining a positive community. If you're at work, I guarantee what happens in work. Guarantee. Clusters at lunch and breaks form. There's clusters of negativity and they draw negative people. And you have, oh, that's the negative table. They're complaining about their boss, complaining about their pay, complaining about their work, complaining, bah, 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 bah. If you find yourself in that group, just kind of sneak over to the positive group that's just laughing and having a good time and, I don't know, sharing their lunch. Just fun things, you know? Just being fun people, talking about fun things. Just kind of slide from that negative group to the positive group. Just don't mess with their jam. Don't bring their negativity in, right? Find a positive group to hang out with. Find a positive church. I might suggest Rancho. Just as a place to start, (laughs) thought thank you. No doom and gloom. No end of the world, no anger shaking our fist at the world, no nitpicking everybody's sins and shortcoming, no end times obsession, no fear peddling, no guilt peddling. Jesus was born into that environment. He said, this is a disaster. Can we do something better? Can we build a better world where you're not out there just angry and judgy? Be a part of a grace-based community, a Jesus-centered community, making a positive difference in the world around us. I mean, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to free us from all this religious negativity, right? He wants us to enjoy God, enjoy our life, enjoy our family, our friends, all the things we've been talking about for nine weeks, right? Enjoy being a part of a wonderful community, celebrating God, celebrating his grace, and trying to be gracious in the world around us. Acts two forty-six. This brand new church worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meal with great joy and generosity. They were having fun. Great joy and generosity together. That was the the early church. We can tap into that today. Think positive thoughts, do positive things, join a positive community, and finally, change to a positive faith. Change to a positive faith. For those of you who are raised with a negative faith, abandon it and believe something different. And whenever I say that, a lot of people get really nervous. Because we oftentimes were raised in a certain church, raised with a certain belief, and being asked to change what we believe is difficult. But sometimes I say it just to be fun, you know, just, oh, just change what you believe, and I have fun with that, but it took me three years to change what I believe. They were three hard years to change from a negative perspective of who God is and who God is to me and who I am to him and a negative perspective of the world ahead, took me three hard years to abandon that and believe something different. So when I say just believe something different, I know it's difficult. But I'm asking you today, if you were raised in a negative religious environment, believe something different. If you were raised to believe that God is angry with you or disappointed in you, don't believe that anymore. Easier said than done. But if right now you're thinking, well, God must be angry with me or disappointed with me because I have sin in my life. There's things I'm, I'm, I'm doing that I know aren't right. God must be angry with me. He must be disappointed with me. If you were raised to believe that or you just think that in your head, believe something different. That no matter where you are and no matter what you've done, right now at this very instant, God is looking at you and he is for you. And he loves you. And he's your heavenly father. And he has already forgiven you of everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. God looks at you as perfect. You're his perfect daughter. You're his perfect son. Believe that. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give that message to the world that God is a heavenly father and he loves you. Even if you're the prodigal son making a mess out of your life, God's heart is always for you and always loves you and will always embrace you, always, always, has already forgiven you. He just simply loves you and you're perfect in his eyes. He has forgiven and he has forgotten everything you've ever done or everything you ever will do. He just wants you to know his love for you. Will you believe that? That's positive, that's optimistic. It's wonderful, it's beautiful. If you believe that things are gonna get worse, if you were raised to believe that things are gonna get worse and worse and worse and end in fiery torment an apocalypse, believe something different. Jesus came to say salvation is coming to this world and it's called the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples said, hey Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, that's what we're all about, bringing heaven to earth, let's go. Let's build heaven on earth. Is it going to be a perfect journey all the time? What's the answer? No. Is my life going to work out wonderfully all the time? What's the answer? No. Is this world going to be on this even, beautiful trajectory towards heaven all the time? What's the answer? No. It's going to be a bumpy road. Sometimes in our life or in our family or in our nation or in our world, but the end goal is the goal that Jesus came to establish, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Let's build it. Let's build it. Let's have this positive view of what God is doing in our life, whether things are going well or not. Let's have a positive view of the direction of this world, whether things in any particular season are going well or not. Now, whenever we talk about kind of this positivity and this good news there are people who chirp on the side and they say, oh, that whole good news and positivity thing, that's just tickling ears. It's just preachers tickling ears. People need the bad news. They need the bad news of their sin and how, you know, all the stuff about what is right and what's wrong and who's condemned and who's not and who's right and who's wrong. That's what the world needs, the hard stuff. And so typically what they'll do is quote 2 Timothy 4.3. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Well, there you go with this positive, itching ear message, right? of, of optimism. You shouldn't do that. People need the hard truth. Well, read the following verses. The same person says, "Teach the what?" Good news. That's what's offensive to people. Religious people are so offended at good news. They're like, no, we need the hard stuff. We need the condemnation and the guilt and the shame and the fear. That's what's offensive. It's the good news that needs to be preached. It's positivity that needs to be preached. That's what sets people free from religious burdens. That's what sets people free from emotional burdens. Think positive thoughts. Do positive things. Hang out with a positive community, right? And believe positive things. That's how we get to an optimistic enjoyment of life. And it really is a wonderful thing. We're gonna share communion together. You have your communion cups. If you don't have your communion cups, just wave your hands frantically and one will be given to you. There's a couple in the back there. We have two models of communion cups. One has the bread at the top. There's a thin little deal there. One has the bread at the bottom. If your bread is at the bottom, don't open the juice first and then go to the bread. Just, it's gonna go bad. So, you know, this requires skill. When Jesus was with his disciples, he shared with them this incredible hope. In John chapter 16, we have somebody up here as well in the front who needs a communion cup. In John chapter 16, Jesus shared that in this world you will have to- trouble, but take great joy. I have overcome the world. Jesus was preaching a message of joy just hours before the cross. And as he was teaching about how to enjoy this life, even in the midst of struggle, um, he took the bread of the dinner and he says, this is my body broken for you. Jesus says, this message of joy and hope in the kingdom of heaven on earth has offended people to the point where they're coming after my life and I will give my life for this message. So take the bread and eat this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And then take the wine, the juice, that Jesus took at the Last Supper, and he says, this wine is a symbol of my blood which is shed for you. This message of enjoyment, this message of the kingdom of heaven has offended the religious leaders, has offended the political leaders, and my life will be sacrificed because of this message. And I will sacrifice my life so that there would be grace on earth and the message of forgiveness and that God is a father and that he's always for us and we can enjoy that. I will give my life for this message. So it says, if you follow me, take this and drink this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that we can take just about an hour a week and we can celebrate your grace. We can celebrate your goodness. We can take great pleasure in the fact that you are a heavenly Father who has forgiven our failures. You remember them no more. Everything past and future already forgiven by the grace that you've shown us through Jesus Christ. Your Heavenly Father, who's always for us, that even if we have messed up and even if we have done things we know are wrong, your grace is always for us. Your love is always there. Your embrace is always there to lead us and to guide us in a new and better way of living, always with the knowledge that we are forgiven and there's grace no matter what we've done. God, give us that sense that you are moving powerfully, not just in us, but in this world. That there's a new world that's being built by your spirit through us, to make love the only law of this world. That there would be increased peace on earth. That nations would put down their swords and work together in unity and in harmony. God, that that world is being built because of your grace through Jesus Christ, your son. Help us to be a part of building that in every relationship, in every interaction that we have we would be people who are full of optimistic joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.